Welcome to another part of the Godlearn Initiations uh, series, where we talk to members of a tribe who fairly recently joined the Godlearner Studies. The Godlearner podcast wants to investigate how people comparatively new to Glorantha experience the world, what are the rewards, what are the hurdles when approaching this setting. So, and uh, today's guest, please introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Diana Probst. I'm one of Beer with Teeth, but I'm also an individual human being who is talking to you with individual human being lips and teeth and eyeballs, because that's how human beings talk. My pronouns are she and her, and I live in Cambridge in the UK, and I'm not a serial murderer. Okay, well, that was uh, <laughs> slightly scary how you added all those details and uh, procedures. They are very like, human details. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you say you're a human and you have only two eyeballs, it's probably true, right? How many eyeballs should I have? Because like three <laughs> yes but yeah we, we we've had you before on the podcast you have had me before on the podcast yes. i've been here as one of beer with teeth yeah and i have been you. here as a judge of other humans oh yeah that too i think of all of the people we are interviewing in this series you're probably the one who went from zero to hundred the fastest and probably more than a hundred at this point let me talk to you about the benefits of illumination my friend <laughs> <laughs> yes but let's start at the beginning though and how you got into rpgs in the first place so that was actually a family thing from when i was quite young it was started by a family member and i tend to keep that sort of detail private but they introduced everyone to Dungeons and Dragons and we played as a family. And then friends did the GM in and like kept that bit outside of all the arguments. And I'm not going to say <laughs> he, we, we broke him, but after that he emigrated and he never DM'd again. And I've still got his <laughs> notes and sometimes I stroke his maps. Basically, he told a massively awesome story and he showed me how to put a world together. And during that time, while we were playing, I also started DMing. I borrowed... Uh, couple of books from other people we had the D&D books and I wanted to tell these stories so I just started telling them I didn't know that it was supposed to be difficult I didn't know <laughs> that there was any entry requirements it's just shut up sit down we're going to do this thing because that's how it had appeared to me yeah so well, we did that and that's it <laughs> mm -hmm. I've been GMing most of my life now since probably the age of 13, 14, I was playing since a bit younger than that. Yeah. And um, uh, did you did you play uh, a lot of other stuff besides D&D over the... Over the Not years? very much. I tend to like one sort of thing. So I was often the GM or the DM or whoever was in charge. And I met other friends who would do this, but I tend to tell the story. So I tended to be the one who would decide what we were going to do. Mm -hmm. um, I've played a bit of White Wolf stuff. I've played some other things. I've, I've been massively loyal to the Amber universe for a very long time because it, it has some messed up people in, in there and I can play them really well for some reason. Did you play uh, the actual Amber Diceless RPG? Mm -hmm. The Diceless game and then Lords of Gosmer and Shadow, which I actually supported when it was a Kickstarter. or Was it Kickstarter back then? Oh, no, I've never heard about yeah. that thing. What, what is that? So it is a reskin of the rules, sort of, a world that can fit into the Amber game, but it can also stand on its own if necessary. And it's a diceless system? Yeah, it's a truly diceless system. It was written by one Jason Durrell. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. 
it's it's really cool. Like it, it unbreaks a lot of the problems that Amber Diceless had, mm-hmm. which cool. I really appreciated, and some of my friends really appreciated. Yeah, and then it's uh, then someday you entered a RuneQuest campaign. Also yes, so <laughs> I was GMing online a few years ago, and one of my players mentioned this. I said, "No, I get obsessive." And he twisted my arm into it's like fine, you know, I I can just if I don't like it, I'll leave. My problem was I knew I might like it. And unfortunately I liked it and here I still am. <laughs> so uh, for further products we need you to uh, need to keep you like it. Uh yeah, you need to make sure that you that I continue liking it, and that means sending cash to me in person or by drive through RPG. Well, yeah, I'm also doing, I'm doing that. high quality alcohol. <laughs> That's why I like you. That's why I'm sticking around you, Ludovic. What kind of alcohol are you into? I said high quality. Do you need to know more? I have. I, it could be expensive wine or expensive whiskey or expensive whatever. Yeah, we're talking alcohol. Yeah. See, uh, all of these things, the answer would be yes. Okay. And I don't understand why you're going to the effort of listing them instead of going to the post office. <laughs> Uh, um, I actually, even though I'm French, I have to admit that I actually don't drink alcohol. I In that case, send me all your spare Bordeaux. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, just, would... just do it. I understand you have a ration. French people have rations of wine. I've decided, <laughs> so that's the way it is. Just send it to me. Yeah, but that, it, since I don't drink, that would be my wife's bottles, and she would be very mad at you. So, um, and at me. Bring it. I mean, she can find out where I live. But it's my That's not the problem. She knows where I live. Actually, that is a problem, and I appreciate that that would be quite difficult for you. And my couch is, I mean, my couch is comfy, but, you know, just for a couple <laughs> nights, not more. But anyway, back on track. So, yeah, you feared you would like it. Uh, what did you like? Um, so this is actually a really difficult problem to to put into merely an hour. It's a fractal <laughs> game. So I can drill down. I could, I reckon, with some effort, run a really satisfying game when none of the PCs ever left their village. Mm. And you could have enough magic and enough Glorantha weirdness in that to make it work. Or you could run a really satisfying game, and it would be a lot easier, where you have a monster of the month kind of theme, and you go, and you, you know, you're on a caravan going through Glorantha. And you see lots of things, and you can you can take the the wideness and the depth, and use it in either direction. So, I have chosen to love and obsess about Sata and Dragon Pass, and I'm very fortunate that my GM and I both get along well with constructive cosmology. Where I say, "Hey, can this thing work?" and he says, "Yes." And he says that he says yes a lot to a lot of the players. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we'll run plots, and sometimes I'll make up a lot of stuff. Like I know better than him about how the Humacti Temple works. It's just that he's doing the actual plots in the Humacti Temple. Mm-hmm. So he can actually overrule me unless I've told him something. But generally, he agrees with a lot of what I say. So. I've defined a lot of how Humax works in that world. And then others of my friends have defined bits. I, I am crazy enthusiastic about it. Like I'm, I'm the one that yeah. writes most and talks most, I suspect. But a lot <laughs> of us do it. Cool. And did you ever 
actually do this kind of participative world building in D&D? Or like, what, what is it that Glorantha makes different? Not in Dungeons and Dragons, but pretty much as soon as I got into the Amber universe, it's impossible to define the whole thing because it's a multiverse. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you get the option in the rule book to have as part of your sheet an entire personal world that you can define. Mm -hmm. And so once I stopped being, if I started off in a kind of D&D mold, I must control this thing, there must be advancements of various sorts. But eventually I got to finding out that when other people did a lot of the definition, it got better, not worse. Mm -hmm. So I wish I'd found that out earlier. But I had very good practice Um in particular on the Roads to Amber Mush, so multi-user shared hallucination. It is text-based, <laughs> and that was where I really got into declarative cosmology, where you can say, this is a thing, and the GMs would just yeah. look at it and say yes or no. And it's like, why, did, why does that work? How does that work? Yeah. I think um, that kind of shared world building is probably, like to me, one of the defining game design trends of the 21st century where you had like so many games that came up with that kind of player engagement where before it was mostly the gym makes the story and the world and the players just playing it yeah other than road to amber i hadn't really had that experience with other mm. games so for me it's actually a way of building the world that sits beside the rule set And therefore, for me, it fits in really well with Glorantha. And there's nothing in the Glorantha rule set that tells PCs how to make a world. But there is in the fandom. And the concept yeah. that your Glorantha will vary is awesome because it means I can't get these things wrong. I can be told by the GM, no, but it's never actually wrong. It's just a version that didn't work. Mm -hmm. So... I think I was very fortunate in finding that those two things meshed together well, like a way I like storytelling and a GM who is pleased to do that with actually three things, not two, within yeah. a world that works well with that because that's its underlying philosophy. It's that people make stuff up and the, and the, the relatively small central team at Chaosium says, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, you made quite a, a big step uh, from uh, storytelling to a rather gritty system when you started RuneQuest. How was that for you? Um, I liked it. I liked it a lot. It was a refreshing change that went very well with the system. So I had been playing Pendragon, and yeah. for the way we were playing, the passions weren't working for me, but there were quite a lot of roles. It was cool, and you were, you were very easily broken. So I'm kind of used to this. And then I come into a place where there's passions and you're quite easily broken, but I think the passions worked a lot better. And I actually really like the fact that there's usually a mechanic to check for things. You don't have to use them, but it makes the world feel a lot more dangerous in a way that to me has become very RuneQuesty. Like this taught me how RuneQuest should be. And I could see other ways. I've run things diceless. I've run things with very light rules, but I like how RuneQuest ties the world to the character sheet using the mechanics. So mostly I was filled with admiration for that. It took us as a group a little bit of time to come up to speed with how all the different things worked. So we did do kind of light versions of the parry rules, for example, for a while. We didn't yeah. actually damage weapons for quite a long time until we went, yeah. actually, you know, 
now we've got some spare thinking time. Um, okay. Shooting into melee came and went, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I've loved it. So nowadays, uh, the rules just grate against you occasionally. Um, yeah, I. Some of them I feel are very RuneQuest too. Um, <laughs> some of them are really awesome, and I like them as mechanics. It's like I, this is what I signed up for. I don't like all of them. For those who don't know, today I, I ranted about the drowning rules. Um, and I've ranted enough to actually blog about them because um, they're the one thing where I think that's just punishing a person for pitching up. Um, <laughs> and also, in general, I don't think RuneQuest is about trying to make a perfect reality. I think it's an abstraction level and there's a lot more going on in combat than taking turns to hit, for example, but it's like that significant chance to hit is the one you care about. But when it comes to certain rules, suddenly things become massively more significant. And in Drowning in particular, that tends to throw me out of the world. When it happens, it's like, okay, here's the rule set, but I don't actually like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You are rather true to RuneQuest then, and only RuneQuest uh, role-playing in Blurantha. Uh, yes, I don't currently have anything else on. I don't really want to split my brain into those things because I do an awful lot of task switching at work and I like okay. being able to hold only one set of rules. It's it's yeah. awesome, it's relaxing. <laughs> uh, although there's one guy, if he offered me a pen dragon game, yep! <laughs> so, you know, I, I could be persuaded, but it would have to be something I already know. And for RuneQuest, it's definitely RuneQuest Garantha for me. It's the way I learned. So for me, they're synonymous. So uh, do you play face-to-face um, -face or, or just uh, uh, online? Just online. I was actually already running things partially online, even before covid so I was quite fortunate there. You know, I had friends with cameras who were all able to pitch up. I, I've still got the camera belonging to one of my friends. Don't tell him. I'm hoping he's forgotten. <laughs> Sorry about that, Domal. And then I was just very fortunate to be able to take it all online. And people were already trained in general for most of the group. So it's quite hard. Everyone wants to talk at once and you don't have the social cues. Mm -hmm. And I can't run as big a game online as I can run in real life, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't reach out and throw things at people. I can't scribble notes <laughs> so easily. And I can't take all the cues from people who are about to lean forward. And yeah. you can't see it on the screen, but you can see it in their body language if you're at the table. And it's it's a lot harder to tell who's bored as well. Yeah, yeah. I also find that um, it's not it's not too bad with RuneQuest Glorantha, but I would say like the strike rank kind of going that category. But there's a whole bunch of games with mechanics that you can tell they have been very much designed for table play, especially all the all the games where you were supposed to hand out, you know, advantages or bennies or, you know, counters like, oh, you did something cool. Here's like a plus 10 or whatever. And it's just like clunky online because it's hard. You can't toss something. You can, you know, just, so yeah. I have found that it can be clunky to run strike ranks, but if you could, if your players can keep track of them, the way I just go is, take a statement of intent and then I, I 
those of you who are seeing this as a podcast will not be able to tell, but at least Ludovic and you can see me holding up my fingers. So strike rank one, strike rank two, three, four, five. I just count through, people interrupt, yeah. mm-hmm. and everyone has it in their turn. And mm-hmm. they are big grown-ups, they can do that. <laughs> but I can see that token keeping would be very awkward. On the other hand, if you're keeping track of hit points already, it's like, do you really need to? You, you've got to trust your players to keep track of their hit points. Why yeah, don't you yeah, trust yeah. them to keep track of their tokens? Yeah, well, it's it's mostly the, you know, hey, you get a plus 10, and online you kind of have to go like, okay, yeah, did, did you write it down? Did you, did, did you catch it that you get? It, it requires a bit more handshaking as opposed to just like throwing a little token at somebody's face on the table and it's in front of them and if they were doing something else they can still see that it's there so um but yeah for strike rank actually what i do is the on vtt's like roll 20 or such like that there's the the turn face because i absolutely hate counting down strike ranks yeah i don't like it it's like i'm like an at an auction or something yeah but you're wrong (laughs) uh but so when they do the statement of intent, I just make my players or or I do it myself, depending, add themselves to that uh, turn tracker on roll 20 so that you can just see, okay, and next going is strike rank six. So you just go at strike rank six without counting down. Uh, and I find that that's... Um, that, that works better for me. At I can see that would work. I can see um, you might need a dedicated table area if you're doing things like bennies or advantage yeah. tokens. There's a tracker in the starter set that I think is actually meant to be used like that at the table where you would put your mini yeah. or some counter on it uh, or, or the awesome trackers you can get from uh, Infinity Engine also. Um, which I haven't been able to use yet at the table because I started playing role um, um, RuneQuest during the pandemic. So I'm looking forward. Yeah, I'm looking forward to using that tracker. Uh, But anyway. To me, moving a physical thing gets in the way because just saying it is faster, but I'm quite an impatient person. (laughs) Well, I'll ask you next question. Yeah. Yeah, so what do you wish you'd known, read, or played when you first encountered Grantha, including books um, you want to write yourself? I don't think there's much, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> I came to it without any uh, without any nostalgia for any earlier versions, and I think that yeah. that served me very well, because there are a lot of people out there who are going, but wait, 20 years ago, this happened. It's like, to me, <laughs> that doesn't hold me back. It doesn't... I haven't had the joy of knowing it all along, but I also don't really care about it because it was in the past. So I'm seeing things in glorious new Technicolor. I've never had the struggle of playing a 17-year-old whose best skill is 53%. And I, yeah. I enjoy things <laughs> as they are. So, you know, maybe I'd have liked to have read, read the rule book, but our GM was pretty good about it anyhow. For a long time, only he had it. Um, But yeah, to me, that's a question that says, what wasn't good enough about it? It's like, nothing really. We just made shit up. Which is why the Colimar and the Milani have some clans out beyond Dangerford to the east, because we didn't have a very good map at the time. (laughs) But that's not wrong either, so that's fine. Maybe we'd have liked a better map. 
Yeah. Maps are cool. Maps yeah, are cool. Jeff has just provided that one, so... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's really cool to see a clan map with lots and lots of places on it. It puts a lot of stuff into context that yeah. theoretically you know, but we didn't actually have it. Yeah, and the problem is uh, as soon as somebody writes it down, you need to find where he did it. So. Yeah, and presumably that will be published and that will become central. Yeah, but even uh, even if you have a range of publications, it, it's, it's getting hard to find so stuff. Where did you put it in there? Well, hopefully <laughs> we're at the beginning of a lot of publication, but... Yeah, yeah. But uh, usually an index only covers a single book. Mm. Yeah, that uh, that was my entry to Sage work. So, yeah. what would you actually recommend as the entry? Well, to, yeah, Jörg is currently holding a not yet unwrapped <laughs> starter set, and any minute yeah. now, yes. that will be open, and that's that's really good. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a recommendation I'd have. I also really like the Broken Tower. It's got some very yeah. good scaffolding. Yeah. It's got what you need to get beginning. And I think that that will be like a good starter adventure. It's around the same level as the starter set. Yeah. So yeah. that's definitely a thing that I would say. There's beyond that, I'd say get the starter set and then get yourself the adventure books. Um, and after that, you might end up with some dead characters, so you might want to create some more. <laughs> but, you know, make sure that you're enjoying the world before you invest in the core rule books and then buy the core rule books, obviously, because they are yeah. absolutely worthwhile. Um, is there any stuff that you don't like about Glorantha? Um, I'm not sure. I can't. The problem is that there's no single Glorantha to dislike. So any stuff that I don't like, I've simply already chucked out. Mm-hmm. There are some things that GMs don't play with because they don't like them, and that's fine. So what did you check out, for example? Uh, In general, in my games, you don't see male brew around the place. Okay. It's like, no, not not having that, that's not entertainment. Yeah. Um, Basically, that's about it. That's, That's one line. There are other lines that a lot of GMs won't cross that I won't as well. I'm a particularly staid and conservative personality, and... Well, I just get to define my Glorantha, and that's more about out-of-character behaviour at the table, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of any bugbears. I mean, the drowning rule <laughs> that I mentioned earlier, but even then, that's something that I don't do at every game. Like, yeah. if I was starting a new game, I might announce it from the beginning, but I've agreed to pitch up and play Green Quest Glorantha, yeah. and then I've gone in my armor into the Upland Marsh. It's <laughs> <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean that's why we sent the ducks in there. Uh, but I mean, it, I think it's very common that everybody has house rules to some degree, and you know, the crunchier the system, the more house rules you have. And, Request is definitely quite crunchy. So, um, not a massive number, to be honest. So, it's it's not so badly broken that I want to put in the effort of fixing it, and then the effort of remembering where I left all those fixes for all the yeah. different games. <laughs> like, nah, no, yeah, just go with what's in the rule book. Yeah, because, yeah like, um, I guess a lot of these house rules uh, really are inherited from earlier versions. I suspect that's the case. Um, 
frankly, this is the house rule version for the Chaosium team already. Mm-hmm. Why do I want to mess with it yet again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've uh, pretty much hastened through this because you already got a chance to tell about your campaigns. Unless you think uh, there's a new awesomeness you want to spread? Um, there's one thing that I didn't get to mention last time. So I... for people listening, we'll have to refer them to the uh, Designing Adventures in Glorenta episode four, I think, which is when we had you and the other beer with teeth. So uh, you people talked about your campaign there. So we'll have the link in the show notes. But yeah, you can add to that. Yeah. The, there's just one thing to add the One of the funniest games that I have ever run was at a convention. It was the Grantha Games in Birmingham the year before COVID hit. And I'd like, there I am, new BGM, sitting there. And, and obviously I throw all of my people into an unexpected hero quest in the first five minutes because they deserved it because they came into my game. I mean, <laughs> seriously, was, was, was my innocent, nervous look not enough warning for you? And then... They were thrown into a hero quest, and to their horror, they were playing Lunas. Like they're, they're all honest, really good humanity. Yeah, I thrown them together from the regiment, and and two of them got overtaken by what was going on. And they were playing these Lunas very well indeed, and they were planning how to burn down Boldholm. <laughs> by the time <laughs> I got round to the table, realised what they were doing, and just sat there staring at them, going. Damn, I wish this was my home game because that would be my plot. <laughs> And that's part of what I mean by declarative cosmology because no one would ever have known that I hadn't plotted that, right? Surely. <laughs> We could just jump on that one. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Shout out to the people that tried so hard to burn down Boltome and then understood that they couldn't because I'd actually brought a different plot along. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's good when you get both. Yeah. yeah. But they actually had to invade the Upland Marsh and survive. So, you know, burn down Boltome, invade Upland Marsh, swings and roundabouts, really. Yeah. Well, I think I'd take burning Boltome. Mm. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So convention games are a thing for you? Um, They probably will be again, although... I'm not intending to travel very much. I don't like travel. I don't really like people. This might have come through in occasional earlier bits of episode. Um, but I am prepared to overcome that if you bribe me with tea. Mm. Tea. Okay. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm cheap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe I can lay enough of a tea trail to get you over to Kraken or something like that. That's a lot of tea. I mean, the English channel will need a lot of milk. It's how much tea I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't think you get to my, uh, my dose of tea. I'm, I'm uh, at about seven liters a day. I have got that far. I decided to pull back. <laughs> Is that even yeah, it's distracting. healthy? <laughs> no, I, I was totally unable to sleep, but I started off as an artist. I would need to walk away from my easel and come back and look at it with fresh eyes. So I'd go make myself a cuppa. And I could do that 10 times a day quite easily. Yeah. And then I moved into an office. I was working in an office for a while with someone who drank as much tea as me and would make tea for each other. So we'd actually drink twice as much tea. <laughs> <laughs> and then lockdown hit and I 
realized my sleep pattern was just completely destroyed and uh, started drinking other stuff instead in the afternoon. Even though, frankly, coming back to your result with fresh eyes should be quite easy given all the human eyeballs you have. I only have exactly the correct number of human eyeballs we have agreed this. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. At a time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we have a couple of uh, joke questions. Mm -hmm. I think you already <laughs> suffered some of those. So, yeah. Uh, Vamandi or Oliver? Uh, for Mandy. <laughs> Seriously, I like I I have I ever told you about ice cream tea? I've told a lot of people about ice cream tea. <laughs> um imagine ice hockey but for Aussie rules. Yep. And none of that namby pamby armor. And if they make a rule in your honor, you're gonna be getting feasted. The Varmandi are amazing at ice cream tea. <laughs> One of the games I'm currently running has features the Varmandi, the PCs left during dark season to avoid ice shinty season. <laughs> like they've gone to Prax, they've gone to New Pavis just to avoid being the captain of the ice shinty team. Yeah, so, <laughs> so rather troll more than ice shinty to them, yeah? So the, yeah. <laughs> um, they haven't yet found out about troll ball, but. <laughs> <laughs> Ice does make it look particularly well constructed as a game. Yeah, I first encountered the idea of Shinty uh, uh, on the digest years ago, and it was described to me as full contact golf. <laughs> I I got the idea for it as I do it when I saw um what looks like a hockey puck it was an old construction I, i've lost it now but it was a jawbone just tied to a stick it's basically there's nothing it could be not hockey puck hockey stick there was nothing it could be except a hockey stick and i looked at it and i went i wonder what that does and it turns out that strapping shoulder bones to your shoes lets you go across the ice really fast yeah. and i made a plot for that evening <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, threw a new player into being the captain because otherwise he'd have sat at home being quiet. Mm -hmm. And Ice um, Chinty was born in my world. <laughs> I like full contact golf. <laughs> yeah. Any other uh, interesting sports you subject your players to? Um, I, I haven't subjected them to interesting sports yet, except possibly dwarf spotting. Dwarf spotting. <laughs> well, you know, when dwarfs come out of the mines for the first time yeah. and they have basically this little mental checkbook of how to checklist of how to deal with a human. Yeah. And you go up to them and they attempt to talk to you. That's just so much fun. Because <laughs> I yeah. play dwarfs as something between a Yorkshire engineer and an overtrained AI. Yeah. <laughs> they are yeah. very good at pattern recognition. Unfortunately, they're very good at pattern recognition. Oh, yeah. They take each and anything you do as a meaningful conversation. Yes. And if you have been told, do not change a contract with a dwarf, and you say, actually, it's a bit busy up there, let's go up this way. What does that mean to the dwarf who has agreed to walk with you up that way? <laughs> yeah. I, I have had PCs in my game screaming, no, don't talk to them like that, don't, don't talk to them. One person had to take a vow of silence so as not to talk to the dwarfs. 
And then they met the scribes at Johnstown who tried to take rubbings on their armour. And then things went very badly wrong. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I, I like dwarfs. I subject people to dwarfs a lot. I, I like to subject them to alien thinking. And it's a lot harder to subject them to elves because the elves stick around in forests more. Um, yeah. But then, you know, uh, a forest pitches up, you tend to notice, but you might not talk to it. Well, um, the elves can uh, make the forest come to you. Yeah, and I, I love the alien. Oh yeah, and dragon newts, man, dragon newts are so much fun. I was gonna wonder why, like, if you want alien thinking, dragon newts are probably the maybe not the most fun, probably not as fun as dwarves, but probably more alien. Dragon newts are very, very alien. I, I have a set of internal rules I use for playing them. My players all understand that they are consistent. They have no clue what is going on. No clue at all. And I like it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not going to spoil my players by explaining. Yeah. Well, uh, I got the unfortunate new, uh, news that there will be some uh, player character dwarves, dragon newts, and everything. Dragon newts? For the starter set. Yes. Oh, yeah. They're, they're going to add um, NPCs. Well, it was a dragon newt who'd fallen off the draconic way, wasn't it? Yeah, as, yeah. as a player character, really. Yeah, yeah I okay. would personally not like that in my game because yeah. I like the alien feeling. I think you could adequately play a dwarf, although yeah. maybe. Like, you can play an elf. Elves are very good human emulators. Mm-hmm. Like, they're built <laughs> like that. Dwarfs yeah. are terrible human emulators. They're really not built like that. Yeah, but I'm sure I'm sure some players would love to play that. So. Yeah, and, and some players, sure. And it, yeah. it is cool that some people can do it. Just yeah. I yeah. suspect that in my game, I'd say, yeah, no, if you want to be alien, do a different kind of alien. Hey, play a Maidstone Archer. <laughs> <laughs> Grandpa's being weird again. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't think I, uh, there's anything about Glorantha I could tell you. Yeah, I would make it up, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes, you do have a list of things you want to advertise. I do have a list of stuff. <laughs> oh, I brought up an extra thing. Ooh. What else was it I was thinking of? There's something extra. No, it's gone out of my head. I don't have the brain right now. <laughs> yeah. We'll, t- we'll take the written submission and yeah. <laughs> add it yeah. to the list. <laughs> there's uh, there's going to be all the all the links where people can uh, throw money at you so you can uh, buy more tea and uh, alcohol. Mm-hmm. We don't have your Patreon. You don't have my Patreon? Okay, I will send you my Patreon. Thank you. <laughs> um, my Patreon, if you do want to subscribe at a certain level, I can send you the themed art every month. Other than that, I just send you art every month. <laughs> cool. Okay. okay. Thank you for uh, cool. talking to us. Thank you very much for talking to me and to my human ears. <laughs> yep, we will use those. <laughs> it's been a delight. Don't 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 use her human ears. She needs them to pass this human. I, I I can pack them to you. They they travel on on ice really well. I can get more. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the God Learners Glorenthan Initiation Series. 
The intro music is Dancing Tiger by Dam's Cray. The outro music is Islam Dream by Serge Quadrado. You can find us online at godlearners.com or on Twitter and Facebook at The God Learners. See you next time. Question everything to the void and beyond.